what I say is you can share posts in there, but then talk about it. Reflect on it. Say, hey, that post worked for me. What do you guys think about that? And then somebody will come back to you and go, uh, well, you should have done this or you should have done that. All of that makes sense. So you need to use the platform to get feedback from others and make connections with others. Welcome to another episode of Hype Fury Presents. In this episode, I talk to Art of Purpose. AOP started his Twitter account in May of last year and has quickly grown it to over 31,000 followers. In this episode, you'll learn the tips and tricks he used to skyrocket his growth. Surprisingly, that doesn't start with tweeting, but with listening and watching others. My name is Yannick, co-founder of Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoy the show. You told me before that you're actually a teacher. How is Brad Pitt and teaching and Twitter? How did that go for you? The students love having Brad Pitt as their teacher. So I've been teaching about 20 years and literally my account was born. I got bored during the coronavirus and you know how it was like in the middle of all those lockdowns, world was a scary place. I started playing a lot of video games. I was just really consuming and just not really doing much with my life at the time. So I sat down one day and I had been affected by Twitter throughout my life. It's one of the reasons how I gained a lot of my wealth was through the advice I found on Twitter. So I sat down one day, tired of playing games, and said, why don't we just turn Twitter into a video game? Let's just start an account out of nowhere. I had never tweeted before. Start an account out of nowhere. See what happens. Start giving some of the advice that I've seen in my life, sharing my stories, and let's just see what happens. So that's where we started at. Your account is not even a year old, but it's already at 31,000 followers. So, And I guess a lot of people want to know, you know, why? So let's back up a little bit first. So you're a teacher. Why did you decide to hop on the Twitter train? Well, I was really just bored. I was sitting at my house and I wanted to do something other than just consume information. It just got boring to me. Like how exciting is the real world? The real world is so much more exciting than the junk you see on Netflix and video games, which are video games are just repetitive. It's just a system, something you figure out how to game and then you beat it. It's not much of a challenge to me. So I figured, well, let's just do something random. Just go on there and approach it the exact same way and have fun with it. You started in May 2020. Corona was probably pretty bad. And how was it in Texas? It was probably pretty shit as well over there or not? Oh, it was awful. I lost my classroom. You know what I mean? I've been teaching for a long time and I was so used to that routine of like coming in, teaching kids, such great vibes. And it was all taken away from me. We were teaching remotely, but it was not going well at all because it was so much chaos at the time. And I'm sure a lot of people understand that, you know, if you reflect on it. So I lost my classroom and maybe Twitter became my classroom in a way. Maybe I needed to get my teacher outlet somewhere. I always like to think about this. There's so many trolls on Twitter. I like to think that being a teacher trained me for that because nothing that anybody says on Twitter can even phase me because I've seen it all in the classroom. Kids are the worst, man. I know, right? So, but yeah, they're way worse than you guys. So, <laughs> I have no problem. We're softies compared to that. And so you were teaching, and now you're teaching online, but now you're teaching to, I guess, big kids, grown-ups. Let's run through how, because you, you have a really aesthetic account. It's very well branded. It's very well thought out. You probably didn't start with what you have right now, but there was some thought process behind it. Run us through that. Okay, that's a great question. What happened was I literally sat down one day, thought about 
all of like the persuasive things that I could think of. I had read a lot of Robert Cialdini, Scott Adams over the past few years. So a lot of that went into my product design. When I came up with a concept, it's a character, okay? It is a character. When I came up with the concept, a lot of it is like all of my (laughs) eccentric behaviors rolled into one. And I wanted to put it in like the most persuasive way possible. So a lot of visuals with beauty. Who doesn't like beautiful things, right? If you don't like beautiful things, don't follow me. A lot of the world was dark and you see a lot of like the brutalism and the modernism and that is kind of like forced upon society. So I almost wanted to have like a counterculture. We're going to share things that are beautiful on our timeline. I think that resonates with a lot of people because that's kind of almost like what you're not allowed to see anymore. So I thought that was very persuasive the way that we were going to do that and continually use art and beauty behind our message. And at the same time, we were going to use, I had been using Brad Pitt from the beginning because how can you not like Brad Pitt at all? If you're going to choose one person to be your profile picture, it would be Brad Pitt, right? So I just took it. Guys want to be him and chicks want to, yeah. Why would you not? So that was pretty much the idea behind our design. It was, you know, art, beauty, and uh, sharing a lot of our personal story. I hear two interesting things. You actually think about your Twitter account as a product, Let's elaborate on that a little bit. And you also say our work. So I'm guessing, are there more people involved in running this account? I'm the primary person that runs the account. There are people, I'm always, and I suggest that everybody really does that, always be kicking ideas around with other people. So there's definitely influence from other people. Not going to go into that, but I think that's a healthy thing to do. It's a good strategy. Have somebody look at what you're doing. It's good to have multiple eyes. Why not? Companies pay a lot of money for A-B testing. Why don't you do it? Why do you look at your Twitter account as a product? Because I think that's very interesting and I think more people should do that. Absolutely. I think of it like a product because social media, the way that it's being used is a way to, we have to think about what the purpose of Twitter is, right? So on one hand, we have all of like these giant corporations like the Washington Post, the New York Times, modern media. If I want to see the same boring crap, I can turn my TV on, right? I'm not trying to sound like Alec Jones, but we're all in some kind of information war with like the big corporate media on one side. And then you have all of us social media influencers who can give you the message of what's going on in the ground, give you ideas instantly, what's on our mind, give you our hot opinions. Basically, we're just a different version of a product that is the same kind of thing that you see on TV. So think of yourself like a product. If you do, you're going to, I think of everything. I think of my personal finances like a business. I think of everything from a business perspective. You should think about your account in that way. Your account is worth money, right? It's an asset. Art and aesthetics, is that also something you do in your daily life? Is that also things you teach about or you you teach like below 12 year olds? I'm an artist. I am actual artists. I've been an artist by, I don't want to go into like what kind of artist I've been a whole life, but I used to be a singer. I've been like all around the world as a singer. And that kind of started myself out into the art world community. So as an artist, I take a lot of what I've learned as an artist and apply it to Twitter itself. I know that sounds so cheesy and hokey. Twitter's not an art. Yes, it is. In fact, it is, it's very overlooked. It's your way to influence and persuade the world at once. I mean, you have such an impact on what people think. Don't take it for granted. So I apply a lot of what I've learned as an artist into what I do as somebody on Twitter. Give us some more examples. If you're an artist, you're going to study with somebody, correct? Like you don't wake up one day and become the world's greatest pianist. 
you're going to need to study with the masters for years, right? And they're going to be hard on you. <laughs> they're going to have expectations. They're going to expect that you grow. And you can study with one artist and study with another one. And they're going to be giving you feedback. Sometimes it conflicts with each other. So approach your account in the same way. Reflect. Look at what you're doing. Is it working? Pay attention. And if not, then you need to make some changes. How do you find your masters, your mentors? That's one of the first things that I recommend in my course is that you sit down and write down the three accounts that you want to grow into and be like. Now, that doesn't mean to copy them. It's something to look up to as a creator. And this happens to every single artist. All artists have a mentor. All artists have people who they are influenced from. This is in every single genre of music, graphic art, everything. So you should do the same. Sit down, think about the three people who are influencing you and consume information from that particular person and try to incorporate a little, not copy, synthesize and put your own personal take into what you do. Who did you pick? I don't want to say that on here. I don't <laughs> I don't want to say that because it might get me in trouble with those accounts. They might be like, you ripped me off and they'll be out to get me. I'm too big of an account, right? No one. All right, all right, all right. So, okay, you chose like the aesthetic route. You use a lot of paintings in your tweets. On the one hand, you know, people will click on those images. That will get you engagement and you add a good level of teaching in your tweets. Run us through how you create tweets, find your images, stuff like that. That's a great question. So let's talk about the tweet aspect first. So when it comes to tweets, I think it is very important there's something called the creativity faucet, and this really exists. As an artist, I've experienced this myself. You can't just get right into the groove and start writing your best stuff instantly. You have to constantly create. One of the reasons why I came up with the handle Creation 24-7, and the handle was a way to remind me to do this myself. You have to constantly create to get to your best stuff. So one of the practices that I use is that I try to write at least 10 tweets per day. And I actually still do this. I have like 1,400 tweets. I almost have way too many just sitting on the shelf. I'm not saying that they're very good, okay? But I have a lot of tweets sitting on the shelf that, you know, you can look back on them too and go, wow, that just doesn't work, right? But the point is to get comfortable with creating. And if you're never comfortable with the process of creating, you're never really going to write any great tweets. So use the practice of writing 10 tweets per day. It's a, it's a concept by James Altucher, always write down 10 ideas a day. And you could write more or less than that. With uh, some of my threads, what I like to do is do a process called brain dumping. I use the voice to text feature in the Google documents now. Absolutely love it. I write a lot of my threads this way, where I just click a button, start talking, and speak what's on my mind, and then do an editing phase. I spend about four hours on a thread. When I write, I know there's a lot of this going on right now. A lot of people are just like copy and pasting just lists and it's, it's absolutely ridiculous what's going on. I don't want to build a brand that's like that. I want to build a strong community. So I, when I, when I write these threads, I write what's on my mind. I use the voice to text, I brain dump, and then I go back and ferociously edit. Uh, as far as images, let's talk about images for a second. When I do images, I explain this a bit in my course. I get images three ways. I go onto wiki art. Okay, so a lot of wiki art, it's just like a Wikipedia of beautiful art. I know what to look for because, I mean, I've been doing this for a while. So I know the artists and I can sometimes write a tweet and have a painting in mind already. Or sometimes I look at the painting and write the tweet, <laughs> sometimes in reverse. So I'll use wiki art 
Also, I have an alternate account just assigned to follow all of the art and aesthetics accounts. So I can see what's working for those guys. And then I can go, well, that's a tweet. That's a painting that really resonated. Maybe I can put this together with that tweet and then it works. And then the other way is sometimes it's just plain out use Google to try and search if I can't find anything in particular that's working. I use that the least amount. I know a couple other art accounts that I talk to. Save Your Sons uses Pinterest a lot. So there's a lot of accounts that are using Pinterest to find some of the art as well. What's your cue to actually start writing? Because, you know, everybody wants to, you know, write down ideas or write five tweets or 10 tweets, but getting started, getting that cue or that mental signal, I have to start writing. That's probably the hardest part for people. I agree. And if you can't find any inspiration, inspiration comes from personal experience. One, which is the best kind of writing because it's going to be perceived as original. Two is to as I said earlier, find mentors. Now you can have those mentors. They don't have to be particularly on Twitter. They could be blogs. They could be off of our platform completely, sign up for their email list, start consuming their information and reflect on it. That can be a starting point for your writing. And so let's say you're a marketer. Take me as an example. How would I find three mentors that I could use for inspiration and uh, try to you know, mimic, not copy, but get inspired by Well, for you to do that, you need to have an understanding for what kind of direction you want to go in as an account. So if you're going to take the leap from being a consumer to a creator, you need to know at least what you're going to do, right? If you don't know, then maybe you can just use Google and say, hey, personal, like if I'm doing personal finance, you can Google personal finance, 10 best blogs on personal finance. From there, you can at least have a start. I would really recommend, I'm going to say this. You have to have some particular degree of mastery of the subject because the tweets that you write resonate so much more with the community when you've actually put them through personal experience. If you do not have the personal experience, maybe you should. I'm not saying that you need to be a master of it. I'm saying that you should have at least put it into practice and there'll be a little, you know, it's going to work a little bit more. It's going to help you build a relationship with your audience. And that's also where I think you see the difference between just copying platitudes and adding something to a platitude or, you know, I take hours to build threads. You know, I don't do a lot, but the ones I do do really well. But I put a lot of time and a lot of personality in those tweets and I see that those work best. Absolutely. And you're building a real audience. There's a difference between having 50,000 followers and we all get so into follows, right? It's like the currency of Twitter, right? And I'm not sure if that's completely true. And I have a lot of followers, right? There's accounts that have 50,000 followers. There's accounts that have 8,000 followers. But some of those 8,000 follower accounts have a community behind it. And it's better to have stronger fans than an actual just mishmash of huge follows. And I find myself guilty of that just going for follows sometimes too. I'm not perfect. Let's run through some of the tactics you've used in the past 10 months to grow your account to 31,000. How did you start? What was day one for you? Okay, you had the Brad Pitt look, you had the art and aesthetics thing, and then, and then what? Well, I didn't even tweet my first day. You were looking for your mentors. Exactly. That's exactly what I was doing. I didn't even tweet. It took me a while to even find my groove. I felt as though my earliest tweets, some of them got really good engagement from the early stages. So I was doing something right. I think maybe I brought something unique to the platform just by my style. And people were like, whoa, what is this? 
So I think that did work, but I took a very long time to grow. It took me three months to get my first 1,000 followers, which is kind of long for an account that then grew. Then after that, we started to do like three to 5,000 a month consistently. It took me three months to get 1,000. And I really had to find my groove. What did you do in those three months? What worked and what didn't? My branding was terrible from the beginning. Even with Brad Pitt, that's how bad my branding was outside of Brad Pitt. That's the only thing I had going for me and the aesthetics. My banner was terrible. My tweeting was inconsistent. And I didn't really know how to play the game very well. So once we really tightened things up, got our strategies going, and figured out what was working, that is when we really started to grow. The one big thing that I changed when I hit 1,000 followers was that I started writing threads. That was maybe the biggest difference. I got my brand better, and I started writing threads. So I wrote two threads. I tried to write a couple threads. They bombed. But my third thread that I wrote, I wrote it with like a thousand followers and it got like 2000 likes and retweets. And I was like, whoa. And all I did was talk about, I think it was like 10 mental habits that you can use to create wealth, something like that. And you see a lot of those same threads going on right now, but I wrote something like that back in August and it just blew up. And I thought, okay, the reason why I wrote that thread to begin with was because I started looking on my timeline. And I was asking questions, I was writing posts, and I would get responses that were like kind of strange from people. And I realized that there was a huge gap of knowledge in my audience. So I decided to fill it with what I perceive as really good information. So I did, and it really resonated. So you need to be paying attention to what your audience knows, and you need to be able to fill that gap. So you can do a lot of that with by asking questions, participating with your audience, paying attention to the responses that you get. And I felt as though some of the responses were not very good. So I said, okay, all right, this is where I could put my focus. And then we kept building on that. Threads, threads really are the best, the best way to organically grow by writing threads, in my opinion. First, I want to talk a little bit more about your banners. I tested it a little bit with banners, not a lot, but in my mind, I haven't really seen you know, a significant change in getting more followers with different banners. What did you see? Oh boy, my first banner was awful. I had a, what you need to do is pay attention to profile views. So if you're not converting like at like two to 4%, people are coming to your profile and they're getting turned off by some reason. It could be your banner, it could be your profile pic, it could be you have an ugly timeline. So people come to my timeline, I don't even tweet often. I only tweet like three or four times a day. And I don't really crank out that many tweets. I get 200,000 profile views a, a month around with four to 5,000 followers. So we're like in like two to 3% range. People are coming to my profile and we're converting them into follows. That's even with me selling my course often too, which definitely turns people off, but we still do it. So if we're not converting followers in the right way, pay attention to your metrics. There's a reason behind it. You just have to figure it out. And what did you test banner-wise? I used my Twitter timeline to do that for me. I had my first banner. I changed it to a second one. And then my third one, I was going to focus on create 24-7, creation 24-7. So I actually made up a few banners in Canva. In my course, I talk about how to create a banner in Canva yourself. So I did it myself. I went in Canva and I made a couple banners and I put both pictures up to my timeline. And I said, which one do you like better? <laughs> and we had like 80 responses back. And this is for an account with like 2000 followers. Use your timeline to get validation and just listen to your audience. 
threads are the way to organically grow. You still spend like four hours on a thread. You already mentioned, you know, I write down 10 ideas per day. Do you then use, you know, those 1400 tweets to create a thread? Run us through how you create threads. Yes, you should always be using your own content again and again. I want to say that I'm actually going to look on my timeline right now, my pinned post, right? So 17 lessons learned. A few of those posts that are in there are comments that I made earlier or actual posts that I use and, you know, copied and pasted and rewritten in a different way. So when you're writing a thread, never think of anything as finished. It's never finished. Once you create something, you can always repurpose it and talk about it again later, especially if your audience validates it and you get tons of engagement from it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. What's interesting is that you retweeted it yesterday. It was like the the tweet with my AdSense income, the 150K. I've used that image, well, maybe not 10 times, but I've used it a lot of times before. And I gained about three, 400 followers from that one tweet. That was a single tweet. And there you can really see that different topics, different angles of tweets do different things to your account. Some get you insane amount of engagement, but almost no followers. And others give you, you know, a decent amount of, of engagement. I should check how much I got. But I've had threads that did like over 200,000 impressions, but I only got 300 followers, which is still pretty good. But if you compare it to the tweet from yesterday, you know, that was, I got at least double the amount of followers, you know, if you look at how many impressions it got. So... I think there's an expectation behind your account as well, since you're associated with Hype Fury, that you set the expectations that you're an entrepreneur or business. So when you present your wins, it validates you, and then you get the followers from it. Not true. So I got 100,000 impressions. I just looked, 12,000 engagements, and yeah, about 400 followers from that one tweet. So yeah. What I'm interested in is, of course, a bit of your metrics, a couple of tweets, maybe run us through a couple of, of them that did really well, both, you know, oh, this got a lot of impressions, a lot of engagement, and this might have gotten a little bit less engagement, but got me a lot of followers. So my most, one of my most popular tweets was, is I shared a meme back in, I want to say September, about three girls that play the flute, and it went viral. It was about a girl playing a flute, like A, B, C. And we got something like 5,000 likes retweets on this thing. Who does the flute belong to? Was it that? Who was the flute belong to? A, the girl that made the flute. B, the girl that can play it. Or C, the girl who is like not privileged, you know? So I had actually seen this meme as a teacher before. So I saw it somewhere online and I said, I was just sitting around the house. I wonder what my... Twitter audience would think of this because I've seen this multiple times at teacher in-service meetings, right? So I decided to put my class through a teacher in-service meeting when I shared that with y'all. And it absolutely blew up. Now that particular post maybe only got me like six, 700 follows. That didn't translate with impressions into the millions for that one. That didn't particularly translate. Why? Because that's not really on brand for me. So people aren't coming to a painting money Twitter guy to read about the flute people. I just shared it because it was entertaining and it blew up. Got a million impressions. Didn't result in the hugest amount of followers, but it brought some attention to the account, which is cool. The tweets that get you the most kind of followers are what I call story threads. And they particularly don't get the biggest engagement. So I tweeted about how I felt when I made my first million dollars. And that brought something like, 
eight, 900 followers, but it only got like, I want to say seven, 800 likes and retweets. It was not a big post, but it resulted in a huge, I still don't even understand that. But I shared a story about how I felt when I made a million dollars. I was kind of like, I had been saving money, investing money, doing all the right things for years. And then I got there and I felt like, okay, what next? I guess that post resonated with a lot of people and converted followers because it's a unique story and it had cool paintings and it showed a side of me that other people may not have known. I think story threads are the best way to gain followers and you're building, I think, a true audience. People are following you for the right reasons when they follow you from a story thread. True. If for people who are listening, how would you tell them to create those threads? What process would you go through? For a story thread, I would practice doing the brain dump first. Reflect on how it's almost like a way of journaling. Turn on the voice to text, start talking about it, tell the story, go through, edit. I always tell people with like the first slide in a thread to make sure that that is the best one. I'm sure you've heard that before. Make sure that it is not too much information on the first one. You want them to go click onto the next one with it. Make sure the story makes sense in the editing phase. Read it. You can share it with somebody else. And one big piece of advice is to not put too much into each slide. Okay. I see a lot of people write threads and it's like a big block of text in every single one. Unless you're in a volume, you can't get away with that. People have a short attention span. Learn some of the basics of copywriting. Space things out. Make everything look nice and neat. Because the harder you make it to read, the more friction you add in people's minds. So just make things look aesthetic on the page, share your story. So it's a a phase of brain dumping, reflecting, journaling, and then editing, paring down, making sure only the essential information is there. And at the end of it, if you want to like put a call to action at the end of your thread, you can, you can always say retweet the first one, or sometimes I have a blog. Sometimes I'll say, go check this out on my blog, or I'll have a promotion for create 24 seven at the end of it. Exactly. So I've tried a, a couple of different like first tweets in a thread. I've tried, you know, giving value in the first thread, not too much, but I've also said, you know, uh, check this out if you want to learn X, Y, Z. What do you think works best? Because if you don't give value in the first tweet, it might be harder to retweet. Only people that have actually gone through the thread will say, okay, I'm going to retweet this because this is valuable versus putting a little bit more value in the first tweet. So that's in itself retweetable. What are your thoughts on that? I usually don't put any value in the first tweet. I try to make it so enticing. I'm going to actually pull up some of my tweets. So my last one that I try to make the first thread so enticing that you're like, I got to check this out. So my thread that popped off, this one did pretty well, 2000 likes and retweets. My journey from zero to 1 million, 17 lessons I learned thread. And that did pretty well. The second one is that I had one get 3,000, the 25 worst pieces of advice I've seen and why thread. Now, from a standpoint from the reader, they're like, okay, I got to check this out. The worst pieces of advice, like there's kind of something like, oh, enticing behind that. So if you know some of the rules of copy, you can get people to go through I wrote one that really, like, people are so salty about it, they're still talking about it. It didn't even do very well, but it got me tons of followers. Unpopular opinion, Starbucks coffee makes you poor, thread. And that one, (laughs) that one seemed to really make people upset. I put no value in the first post, and 
like it didn't particularly blow up uh retweet and likewise i guess people were like i can't like this post because i love starbucks so much but it got people really talking and brought a lot of followers to my account you don't really need to add value in the first post i think the danger of doing that is that you might be giving too much stuff away there and that's not just not my particular style for me those are the posts that i've had bomb if it's a thread it's because i tried to say too much from the get-go it's probably more important to entice people to click on show this thread versus i like this tweet and and then they just keep scrolling and they don't do anything with the thread itself right yeah it works for me all right so what i also noticed with you is that you're in a lot of circles so to say can you talk a little bit about i met a lot of how do you know that first of all uh... <laughs> well yeah well because of our conversations what you said about when you could i want to know who's leaking these conversations I... no no one is no one is <laughs> you don't have to kill anybody <laughs> <laughs> it's all good what i want to say is this if you're going to take away one piece of advice for me today from listening to this I want you all to realize that Twitter is a networking platform. That's what it is. And you need to get yourself into the best circles. There is so much gold and information that I have learned over the past few months by people that I've just been associating with. I would suggest for a lot of people, if you're just running solo to, I don't even understand why some people do that. Some people voluntarily do that. If you want to start connecting with people, reach out in DMs. And now don't reach out like most people reach out by going, hey, hi, I want, you know, what you should do is reach out only to them if you enjoy their content. Be genuine, right? When I reach out to accounts, I only reach out to accounts that I go, wow, that was like a really cool post. Good job. Like, I really like this particular aspect of what you you posted or this thing that you bring to the table. Give them a compliment on it and get the conversation rolling from there, right? If you know how to have a conversation with people, then you can connect with people in the DMs. Don't approach them from like, hey, hi, I've had people drop into my DMs and say, can you retweet my post? Who are you? <laughs> like, excuse me, you know how many ridiculous DMs I get per day, it's absurd. So if you're a new account, start connecting with people in the DMs. The networking is just so fantastic. It brings like a whole nother appreciation for the platform. And I've been in groups, like I've run some groups and that's one other way. If you're not satisfied with the groups out there, if you're in a group that is just about giving likes and retweets, you're in the wrong group. First of all, you're not organically growing, which is, I don't know, you're probably gaining low quality follows. If you don't care about that, then do that. But you're not really learning anything. And the people that I have met and learned, like I'm friends with JK Molina. Okay. I network with him and I get to hear about all of the cool, you know, JK and all of the cool stuff that he's doing with his business, you know, and Dan Coe, all these guys, I'm good friends with all of these guys because I talk to them in networks and we get to learn from each other and I get to see what they're doing. And a lot of that inspires me. So let me tell you one of the big benefits. I'm also good friends with uh, Matthew Paik, right? So he released his course the agency course, right? He released it back in October. And I released my course in the middle of November. So we were in a group together and Matthew was talking and sharing his experiences with what was working for him with the agency course, right when it was at its beginning stages. And that taught me a lot about how to launch a product itself. 
So I got the idea of doing modules and adding continually to my course and leveraging other people's information and ideas into my course, and it helped blow it up. So it gave my course some kind of unique aspect to it, as opposed to just being like another Twitter growth course that's out there, is that it has so, uh, so much diverse information in it. And I got the idea from Matthew Paik. And I would speak with him. I'd speak with Dan Coe. And, you know, they changed what my expectations could be on this platform for how to monetize. And I'm really grateful for that. And I would never have learned that if I was just rolling on my own. So I, I've been in groups where I left probably five minutes after I joined. You made the right decision because if it's run like a prison, peace out. And so how do you run a group? There's nothing wrong with saying like, hey, can you take a look at this post? If you guys like it, share it. You know, there's nothing wrong. I think that's the way to do it. If I were to run a group, first of all, I don't call them engagement groups. If you're trying to start something on your own, I call it like a networking group because that's the focus. I talk about this in my course. I even share the rules that I have that I've used. And this isn't the Bible. You know, what I say is you can share posts in there, but then talk about it, reflect on it. Say, hey, that post worked for me. What do you guys think about that? And then somebody will come back to you and go, uh, well, you should have done this or you should have done that. All of that makes sense. So you need to use the platform to get feedback from others and make connections with others instead of just dropping a post and saying, okay. And by the way, the people, some of those people that are on those like, like and retweet, it's like, it's so boring. If Twitter isn't fun, you're doing something wrong. And to me, fun is learning. It's fun is growing. You don't get that from a like and retweet group. You get that from a networking group. There's some groups that I'm in. One is with Joey. And one of the things that we have done was, you know, Joey will be like, hey, let's hop on Discord and play some games. You know, we'll like actually interact with each other like regular people. You know, you're allowed to do that. Right. And it's fun. And you see like a different side of these guys. Yeah, probably the best way to go about it is just find people that share your interests that are cool people and just hook up with them like it's it's not about Twitter and share your stuff. And then you wind up doing better on Twitter, right? Because you're building real relationships with people. And, you know, they're more likely to interact with your posts organically in a natural fashion. So that's why I don't get the whole like and retweet factor. Sometimes I'll go to other people's timelines and all I see is retweets, just like, where's your content? It's not what this is about. It's about building relationships and having fun and enjoying the community. All right, let's go back to your growth. So you shared the flute tweet that blew up. That got you quite a bit of followers. What did you do next? Oh, after the flute tweet, I basically, it's so funny. I dropped the flute tweet and I started seeing what was happening. And I literally put my phone down. And I walked away and said, uh, went out with my wife and we got dinner. I, and I didn't even look at my, <laughs> I kind of just walked away when that happened because I was like, I can't even look at all of the comments. I think that post got close to 2000 comments or something like that when it was done. <laughs> it's like absolutely nuts. <laughs> and I've had other friends that have had viral posts before. And you almost get to a point, it's just like, okay, I'm done for the day. I'll see you later. And then go do something else. But after we dropped the flute post, we just went right back to what we normally do. I think after that, I dropped my first lead magnet and I developed a website 
I hit 10,000 followers pretty quickly after that. And I've been shifting more. Like, you know, people have been asking me about this. Like I talk less about personal finance more and more about entrepreneurship because that's where I'm at in my own life. So, I mean, I was really into personal finance a few years ago and I know quite a bit about it. But I feel like there's also a vibe on money Twitter now that is shifting along with me where people want to really, I feel like the ultimate goal of money Twitter is for people to leave their nine to fives. That's why people are there. Even the people who are side hustling, it's a potential runway for them to ultimately launch off and leave their jobs. So I'm doing that as well. And I'm at the point in my career where I could just, I can walk away and literally just sit on investments and stuff like that. So I'm launching, you know, I'm leaving. And I think other people are inspired by that. And they want to talk a lot about my tweets that are do, doing well recently all have to do with entrepreneurship and leaving nine to five, you know, regular jobs. That's oh, interesting. It's interesting. Let's talk a little bit more about what tweets worked and what didn't. And run us maybe through how you build the tweet as in grammar wise, structuring, stuff like that. Okay, so what I'll do is I, first of all, I recommend installing Grammarly. I know people have mixed feelings on Grammarly. Some people use Hemingway. I like Grammarly. I think it's getting better too. It's evolving a bit. I use Grammarly. I have it installed on every single one of my devices. I don't understand why you wouldn't edit the best that you can and and put it out there. What I'll do is with the editing part is I try to like mix it up like I don't like just to try to post one-liners or a platitude. Occasionally I'll post a platitude. I'll have, I'll do threads. I'll have a one-liner. I'll have a list. I'll have questions. And I try to mix things up. I try not to be predictable. I move the pictures in and out nowadays. I don't have a picture after every single post. If I feel like it needs it, then I'll, I'll put it in there now. But as far as coming up with things, sometimes I'll, what I'll do is like, I, I have like a, I try to get the tweets to evolve. So sometimes I'll ask a question and like, hey, what is your what books influenced you the most? Right? What books gave you a high rate of return? And then I'll look through and I'll be like, wow, it's missing some books here. So then I'll create like a list thread based off of some of the books that were recommended if I've read it myself. And some of the books that were missing that could really like, hey, these are the best five books on investing that you can read, or these are the best five books on stoicism. I'll just put them out there. They resonate really well. And then you can create one of the ways that I realized I should be writing threads on money at the early stages is that so many of my posts that had to do with making money, reading particular books were doing so well. So it gave me a cue to take that to the next level, take a list and to turn it into a thread itself. So there's stages to your tweets. What do people need to do to make you retweet them? I'm pretty tough on the retweets. What I want to see from people is sharing more of their personal experiences. If it's just a generic comment, I'm going to pass. I want to see either some kind of like nice painting or I want to see something that is very unique and interesting. I enjoy unique and interesting. That's why if I wanted to watch boring, I would turn the TV on. So that's the way to get me to give you a retweet. It has to be something that is like exciting, has energy, could even be a little conflicting. The same old boring opinions to me don't really do much. That's why I'm not afraid to post that I don't like Starbucks. I really don't. <laughs> I don't care what anybody thinks. So, you know, I appreciate that. Like, I want to see a degree of originality on the timeline. Art of Purpose, where can people find you? 
at Creation 24-7. We have a website called www.aestheticsareethics.com. Cool, man. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me on today. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next show. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave an iTunes review and give us a shout out on Twitter with your favorite part. See you again next week. Thank you.